We're going to continue our series that we started a couple weeks ago called Lessons for Living from the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, as we title our lesson today, Jesus Heals. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 31. Luke 5, 27 to 31, and we'll get to the text here in a minute, but it's Father's Day. And as most of you know or learned this morning, my dad is actually on staff with us at Wyoming Valley Church. My dad is my assistant pastor, which means I'm finally his boss. (laughs) And I get to preach on Father's Day. So if you've been with me long enough, you know I like to start with a little bit of an icebreaker. And I wonder if you have any lessons that your dad taught you over the course of your life and what those lessons would be. I'm going to give you my top 10 things I learned from my dad. (laughs) Top 10 things I learned from my dad on Father's Day. Yeah, you might want to. If after the first two you leave, I'll know why. Top 10 things I learned from my dad. Maybe you guys can think of your own list. Here's my top 10, okay? Number 10 thing I learned from my dad is don't try to fix anything yourself. You don't have any skills, Todd. Ask for help before you injure yourself or injure somebody else. Thank you, Dad, for that advice. I will do just that. Same dad? Don't try to fix anything yourself. How about number nine? If you ever hear the words free food, pay attention to the details that follow. That's right. Kind of like today. Free food. Pay attention to that. Here's number eight thing I learned from my dad. If your car breaks down, make sure it breaks down near a Starbucks or a Red Robin. That's good advice. Really good advice. Not that you can control that, but maybe. Number seven thing I learned from my dad is tell many stories of what a great athlete you used to be. The older I get, the better I used to be. Oh, yeah. And if somebody asks you to show off your skills, always have a fake injury for why you can't. Like bad lungs. No, that's not fake. Just teasing. These are in jest. These are jokes. How about number six thing I learned from my dad is make sure your microphone is turned off before you start singing. Nobody wants to hear a walker sing. That's good advice. I've taken that one to heart many times. I make Jerry back there double check. Am I muted? Make sure I'm muted. Uh, Number five thing I learned from my dad is to be a speaker and a writer. That way if someone criticizes your speaking, you can say, well, I'm actually a better writer. And if someone criticizes your writing, you can say, well, I'm actually a better speaker. You have something to fall back on that way. Number four thing I learned from my dad is when someone says something mean about you, smile and turn the other cheek. Because you know in your next book or sermon, you can turn that person into an illustration. (laughs) You can get back at them. Here's number three thing I learned from my dad is have lots of friends who owe you favors. Because when you get old and tired, you're going to need those favors. Right? That's good advice. Number two, this one's fitting. Always respect your mother-in-law. Just trust me. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is here this morning, so I had to get her in on that one as well. My mother-in-law, wave your hand back there, Marianne. That's my mother-in-law. Always respect your mother-in-law. Just trust me. Number one thing I learned from my dad is always remind people that you're from a small town. So that no matter what you do in life, you'll always seem successful. Right? That's, that's kind of his motto. No, I'm just teasing. Anyways, those are the top ten things I learned from my dad. That, those are in jest. I'm going to give you a serious one. My dad did always remind me to do this. He always said to his children, always do the will of God. My dad has said that ever since I've been young. Always do the will of God. I remember a time in my life when my dad 
went through a really hard thing and um, was mistreated and things like that. And I got to watch my dad during that time really handle that with grace and compassion and mercy. And I remember watching my dad during that time, remembering my dad saying, always do the will of God. So not only did I hear it from my dad, I saw my dad put it into action. Always do the will of God. So I want to honor you for that. That's a huge testimony of your life. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 31. And our title today of our lesson is Jesus Heals. Jesus Heals. Join me in the Word of God as we read these verses. Starting in verse 27, it says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And Levi, excuse me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast at his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's our text today. Jesus Heals is the title of our lesson today. We continue our series called Lessons for Living from the Gospel of Luke. And today we look at one of the first disciples that Jesus had and his story of how he began to follow Jesus. It's quite an interesting story. I wonder if any of you have ever had the privilege of sharing your testimony with other people. I know some of you have, and some of you, some of you do it quite often. But it's a blessing to be able to share with other people about the time that Jesus called you unto himself, you got saved, and you began to follow him. Today we're going to hear that testimony from a very unique individual named Levi. As we teach this passage today, I want you to consider if you've ever had a negative response to sharing your testimony with other people about when Jesus saved you. Sadly, this happens from time to time. It's happened to me before, and it's devastating when that happens, when you try to share your testimony with someone else and you get opposition or someone doesn't want to hear it because that's the opposite reaction you're hoping for. You're hoping that when you share your testimony, someone is inspired by your experience so they too will search out Jesus and find the very same peace and hope that you know, right? And sometimes that happens. Sometimes when you share your testimony, people get inspired to search out Jesus and find the very same peace and hope and salvation that you have. So keep trying. Keep trying to share your testimony with other people. One day, just like today, it just might work. In fact, those times that you're sharing your testimony, don't you wish Jesus himself could step in at those very moments and validate your story with his own words and power? Would that be amazing? As soon as someone questions your faith, if the Lord is even real, Jesus appears to them in a moment and backs up your story with power and wisdom from heaven, with undeniable proof. Wouldn't that be amazing? We meet a man today named Levi. And the testimony of Levi is going to hopefully teach us something very profound today. But before we learn the testimony of Levi, we learn some important details about Levi right off the bat that can help us understand who he was. It tells us that Levi was a tax collector. A modern-day IRS employee, if you will. Did anybody just cringe at the thought of having a conversation with an IRS employee? Because that might be a natural response, both now and in the days of Jesus. However, an IRS employee is not really a good, de good depiction of what Levi was. 
In fact, an IRS employee would seem like your best friend compared to tax collectors back in the day of Jesus. See, ta tax collectors were notorious people in Jesus' day. They weren't just a necessary evil like an IRS employee, someone who has to exist, but they're a nuisance. A nuisance is one thing, but tax collectors in the days of Jesus were very different people, much worse people. They were generally thought to be embezzlers. They would cook the books in the name of the Roman government so they could cheat you out of even more money to line their own pockets with. They were loyal to Rome, and they were crooks. That was a rough combo back in the day. The tax collectors basically were untouchable, though, because they had the law and the government on their side. People knew they were cheating them of money and stealing from them, but they couldn't do a thing about it. This is our main character today, Levi. He's a tax collector. As many of you know, there's a picture of a modern-day thief. That's kind of what Levi was back in the day. But as many of you know, I have a son named Levi Walker. Levi, raise your hand, Levi. Levi Walker, raise your hand. There he is. He's also on the screen there. I have a son named Levi. He's one of our identical twins. They're back there at the table. My association with the name Levi is an exceptionally good one because I have a son named Levi, and he's a very sweet spirit. He makes us laugh all the time, and he's growing in his love for the Lord. But the Levi we're speaking about today is a much different character. I believe we're supposed to picture an Ebenezer Scrooge type of character with Levi. He's a miser, a cheat, and a scoundrel. That's who Levi was. Here's the question. What is Jesus doing around a guy like this? What is Jesus doing, doing hanging around with a guy like Levi? And that's a pretty good question. And that question is going to come up in our text. This meeting with Jesus and Levi that happens in our text almost appears to be happen chance on the surface, sort of like they just bumped into each other randomly. Jesus had just finished teaching and preaching and healing people at an amazing session right before this took place with Levi. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I believe it's going to be on the screen as well, let's take a peek back to the verses right before ours in verses 17 to 26. Because I believe this is an important set of context to help us understand where Jesus was coming from when he met Levi. In verse 26 it says, On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men who were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. That's what happens right before 
our encounter with Levi today. This is what just occurred right before that moment. Jesus had just forgiven a man's sins, and then he validated the fact that he forgave his sins by healing him from his paralytic state in front of everybody. Jesus said, look, I can forgive sins because I can also heal, heal paralytics. If I can heal the paralyzed, clearly God's power and authority is with me to forgive sins as well. Therefore, I am the Son of God, and I can forgive people's sins. This was an amazing thing to be witnessed in this passage here. And then in verse 26, it says this, Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Now that right there should be the reaction people have to seeing Jesus heal people from their sins. That should be the reaction. That should be what is commonly experienced by those of us who share our testimony about when Jesus forgave our sins and saved us and we started to follow him, right? But when we come to our text today, Jesus meets the notorious sinner, the scoundrel named Levi. And you and I have the benefit of knowing that Jesus is about to change Levi's life forever. But Levi didn't know this. And there's going to be a vastly different response to the healing work of Jesus depending on whether you look at Levi or if you look at the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. There's going to be two vastly different sets of responses. Now the testimony of Levi goes this way. Jesus came away from that amazing teaching session and healing of the paralytic, and he immediately comes across Levi in his tax booth. And you and I know this meeting is divine intervention with Levi, but it almost seems random out of place, and abrupt. And Jesus, just like everybody, knew what sort of people the tax collectors were. He wasn't confused about who the tax collectors were. And that's going to be an important detail to our story, that Jesus knows who the tax collectors are. But Jesus meets a notorious sinner named Levi. Before we go any further, I want to ask the question today, what should Jesus do at this moment during an interaction with a tax collector? If you were Jesus in the day, how would you respond to a tax collector? Remember who they were and know who Jesus is, the Son of God, and tax collectors were cheats and frauds and scoundrels. So here's a few options. A, Jesus could say to Levi, Levi, dude, you just missed out. You should have been inside that place where I was teaching. You missed an amazing miracle. Maybe next time you should care less about stealing people's money and more about the kingdom of God. He could say that to Levi. He could also say this, B, he could call Levi out for being the filthy sinner that he is. Levi, we all know who you are. Either turn your life around or die in your sins. Turn or burn, Levi. Not my Levi, don't get scared. C, he could ignore him. He should act as if Levi's not there at all. I mean, this is Jesus, the son of God. And Levi is a notorious covetous sinner. Jesus should walk right by him without even acknowledging that Levi's even there. Remember the phrase, talk to the hand? Talk to the hand, Levi. Isn't that what sinners deserve? D, Jesus should tip his tax booth over. Remember what Jesus did with the money changers in the temple? He tipped their, temple, their tables right over because of their evil ways. Well, Jesus should do that to Levi's tax booth because Levi's a cheat and a crook. Or E, 
he should invite Levi to follow him and belong to the family and the kingdom of God. Which response makes the most sense? Now I wonder what our response would have been to Levi at this moment. If we can't fathom the first four options that I gave us, then perhaps we're giving ourselves too much credit. And we need to keep reading because there is a whole group of people who thought that Jesus handled the interaction with Levi very wrongly. Jesus decides on option E. He looks at Levi, and he doesn't tell us what he thinks at this moment. But we have to assume that he has compassion upon Levi because of the words he utters to Levi. He simply and straightforwardly says to Levi, follow me. Follow me, Levi. Now, we have the benefit of knowing how this story plays out, so we know the ending. Spoiler alert, Levi is going to be saved today. But imagine that this happened today, okay? Pastor Todd or Pastor Mel meet a notorious, crooked CEO who cheats people out of money all the time. And we say to this person, follow Jesus. What sort of reply might you expect from a person like Levi? After Jesus says, follow me. Scoffing and laughter? That's fitting, right? Maybe something profane would come out of their mouth. Maybe they would completely ignore us. Maybe even get violent with us. Or they would follow Jesus. What would be likely in a response like this? And look at verse 28. After Jesus commands the notorious crook Levi to follow him. And leaving everything. He rose and followed him. Isn't that amazing? In the passage right before ours, people marveled because Jesus both forgave a man's sin and he healed a paralytic from being paralyzed. But in this interaction between Jesus and Levi, this is just as amazing. Levi decides to cease being a tax collector and a crook and drops everything including his job as a tax collector, and he becomes a full-time Jesus follower. Now, we should be shocked at a response like that from Levi, because that is not normal. That's not typical. That does not happen every day. I can tell you that as a long-term minister. A notorious sinner in a day, in a moment, becomes a fully devoted Christian. That's very rare, very, very abnormal and here's another question. Why would Levi do such a thing? Why would he do that? Jesus doesn't even share the gospel with him. He doesn't even explain to him what he means. He simply commands Levi to follow him, and Levi does it. Why? Why would Levi do that? Levi obviously was a wealthy individual, had a lot of money. Why would Levi drop everything and follow Jesus? Did he just need a friend? Was he friendless and Jesus was being friendly to him, so Levi said, I need a friend that badly? Well, the passage does not tell us why or what Jesus was thinking here, nor what Levi was thinking. So we can only speculate. We can't put words into scripture, so your guess is as good as mine for why Levi did what Levi did. I am going to guess, and that's all it is today, it's a guess. I'm going to guess that perhaps Levi had heard about Jesus by this point. And much like another notorious tax collector who came to Jesus named Zacchaeus. Anybody remember that story? Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Um, Zacchaeus knew who he was. Levi knows who he is. And Zacchaeus did not even deserve to share the same breath with the Son of God, let alone 
be acknowledged by him and have mercy shown to him. And Jesus, too, went to dine with Zacchaeus. And this is the last thing Levi must have expected from the Son of God. Follow me? More like get out of my sight, Levi. You sinner, you wicked person. Because Jesus and Levi's reputations could not have been more polar opposite. Levi was a notorious crook, and Jesus was the perfectly righteous Son of God. So it's a guess on my part. I don't know with any accuracy why Levi did what he did. Maybe it was a random encounter he had with Jesus at this moment. Or maybe, just maybe, he happened to have heard of Jesus. And he was looking forward to the day when he could meet Jesus. Just maybe. Maybe Levi wanted to meet Jesus. Maybe Levi knew who he was. Maybe Levi thought, if I ever get a chance to be around Jesus, I too would follow him. But we don't know. Did you ever get acknowledged by someone special and it shocked you? Anyone ever get acknowledged by a celebrity or someone famous and that shocked you? I want you to imagine that your favorite celebrity, just take a moment and picture that person. Favorite celebrity, actor, musician, athlete, whoever you want, they come up to you on the street and they say something to you like, hey, I like your shirt. Would that be pretty special? Wow, MacGyver likes my shirt. <laughs> Back in the day, that's who it would have been. Um, or even beyond this, imagine you're playing hoops at the local playground and Michael Jordan or someone like that walks up to you and says, hey man, you got game. Or even beyond that, imagine the CEO of your company came to where you were working and he told your manager that you were the best employee their company ever had and you deserve to be promoted to manager of everything with a salary of $10 million. <laughs> Very likely, right? How would you feel if that happened? I believe this gets us close, but still far away from what Levi experienced that day. Because this is the Son of God. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Except Levi does, excuse me, Jesus does not compliment Levi here. And quite honestly, he doesn't compliment Levi because Levi has nothing to compliment. <clears throat> Levi is a notorious crook, and he knows it. And I believe everybody knows it about Levi. But Jesus does get Levi exactly what Levi needs. He gives Levi a chance at forgiveness and a chance to serve the kingdom of God. And maybe this is exactly why Levi decides to leave everything and follow Jesus. Because Jesus... Mercy was so undeserving towards Levi. This is an amazing part of the passage that we're going to circle back to. But there's another, one more amazing response in this passage that we need to notice before we close today. And this one is from the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, sort of like today, not everybody follows Jesus for the right reasons, right? Jesus is always being followed by these two groups of people, the Pharisees, and the scribes, okay? They might have looked on the surface to be loyal Jesus followers. They were the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They must have been the most faithful, devoted followers of Jesus because of that fact, right? Jesus was Jewish. They were Jewish. Jesus is the king of the Jews. So they should have been his most faithful followers. But they weren't. They weren't. They followed Jesus for wrong reasons. Even though Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders are together at this moment, 
This is not a collaboration of the best religious people coming together at the same time for one common goal. The Pharisees and the scribes are following Jesus so they can undermine him. So they can wait for Jesus to slip up and they could pounce on him and destroy his ministry and his reputation because they hated Jesus. They hated him. And just like in the passage right before ours, there are several Pharisees and scribes lurking about Jesus every time he makes a move. And I'm sure they noticed Levi starting to follow Jesus. And that must have raised a collective eyebrow from the scribes and Pharisees. This must have been the source of tremendous scoffing and ridicule from the Pharisees and the scribes based on their other encounters with Jesus. But to our knowledge, they keep that scoffing to themselves, at least this time. It was only when Levi invited Jesus to his house and Jesus decides to accept his invitation that the Pharisees and scribes get all hot and bothered. Before we see their response, I want to ask you again, what should be a proper response from fellow Jewish religious leaders of the day when they see Levi follow Jesus? How should they respond to Jesus? A, they could say, wow, Jesus, you truly are a man of great love and mercy. Show us how to love like you do. B, they could say, Jesus, do you mind if we tag along to see how you interact with sinners? Because we have a lot to learn from you. C, they could pull Jesus aside and quietly and humbly ask him, Jesus, I'm confused, but can you help me understand why Levi following you is a good idea? All of those answers might have been proper. Or they could say, D, Jesus, how dare you? How dare you? Let Levi follow you. Let's look at their response in verse 30. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now I want you to notice that the question from the Pharisees and scribes is not a horrible question. That's not an awful question. It's a valid question about why a righteous person would fellowship with a sinful person. That's a pretty good question, honestly. But the way in which it is asked is very improper, and it reveals their heart is not genuine towards understanding, only maligning Jesus in front of everybody. Because they grumble and they take the question to Jesus' disciples behind Jesus' back. Not even to Jesus himself. And sometimes Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees in front of everybody. And he'd tell them about their lack of proper motives. But this time Jesus just answers the question. And before we look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees, I want you to notice that it takes great wisdom from Jesus to know when to rebuke somebody and when to let cooler heads prevail. Because Jesus was the master at this. Sometimes he rebuked the Pharisees in front of everybody. And sometimes he entertained their question and hoped to teach them properly. Good dads also know how to do this, don't they? Good fathers. Sometimes my dad would teach me what I did wrong and show me where I was off. And sometimes he would reveal to me in another way with a slap to the back of the head. <laughs> fathers are the master at knowing what is needed at the proper time. Jesus was the master at this. Jesus must have felt that this moment with the Pharisees was a teaching opportunity. He could have been a lot more blunt and more condemning of the Pharisees and scribes, but he simply answers their question by stating this. 
Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' response and Levi's response to Jesus is how we want to finish today. Why did Jesus respond the way he did to the Pharisees and scribes? And why did Levi take Jesus up on his offer to follow him? Quite simply, Jesus' response to the Pharisees and scribes, that is about as straightforward as a response as you can get. I want you to imagine, to help us understand this today, why Jesus would respond that way, I want you to imagine that you had a perfect cure, not a vaccination, you had a perfect cure for a deadly disease like COVID-19 or cancer. And this cure that you owned had 100% success rate for everybody who used it. Where would you go with that cure? With whom would you make meetings with if you had a cure for a horrible and deadly disease? Would it not be best to take the cure wherever the sick people were? Would that be true? Now, sure, it's honest. Sick people might not be the only people you desire to hang out with, but it would be foolish to not do all you can to get the cure to the sickest people possible so that you can heal the most people. And that is basically Jesus' response to the Pharisees. I'm sure that hanging out with sick and sinful people was not Jesus' idea of the best time that could be spent on the earth. But it was definitely the most profitable because he had a cure for a deadly disease. Jesus owned the cure. He invented the cure. He was the cure. The cure for sin. For sin. And he just met a whopper of a sinner, Levi. You see, sin is the deadliest disease that exists anywhere. It makes COVID-19 and cancer look like a hangnail. That's how deadly sin is. Because sin condemns people to hell forever. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Condemnation. Standing before God someday in your sins and he says, you're condemned forever. Making sin the deadliest disease there ever was. Now the Pharisees, they have an improper line of thinking here. They're thinking that righteous people should not hang out with sinners, but with other righteous people. Because hanging out with sinful people might appear that the righteous people are supportive of the sinful people's lifestyle, right? That seems logical. If I hang out with sinners, then therefore I must support their lifestyle. But you need to remember, the Pharisees and the scribes are not genuinely asking a question of Jesus so they can learn from him. They're seeking to trap Jesus and call him out for improper actions so they can undermine his ministry and undermine his reputation. But I'll be honest, to some degree, they're right. They're right. Righteous people need to be careful how much time they spend around sinful people so they do not support their sinful lifestyles. That is a scriptural truth, in fact. It's also wise not to spend a lot of time around sinful people because their sinful lifestyles might rub off on the righteous person and bring them down. Also a scriptural truth. But if you would have honestly looked at Jesus' life upon the earth, you would have noticed Jesus spent most of his time with the 12 disciples, didn't he? He spent most of his time around people who loved God and served the kingdom of God, just like Jesus did. Jesus spent the bulk of his time around the church, just like we are today. 
But if we're honest, Jesus had the cure for sin. For sin. So with whom should he be making a lot of meetings with? And isn't the honest answer that he should be making meetings with as many sinners as he can find? But I believe it was important for Jesus to let the Pharisees and others around him know and not be confused what Jesus meant by spending time with people like Levi. So he said this phrase to them. He said this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In my own words, I did not come to heal the healthy. I came to heal the sick. I'm the great physician. Now let's be careful here. Jesus is not saying that only some people are sick and that some people are healthy and righteous. We know that all people are sinners because of the passage we just read from Romans 3. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. Notice the language. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now based on that text, who is sick? Every single person that ever existed is a sinner and sick, according to God. So Jesus is not undoing a doctrine here, okay? We know that every single person that was ever born, besides our Lord Jesus, is a sinner and in need of salvation. But his response to the Pharisees is hypothetical. Assuming there were healthy people, would it be best to take the cure for the deadly disease to those who are not sick with the disease? Of course not. It would be wise to take the cure to the sick people who are dying. That's obvious to anybody with a working brain. But notice this phrase, I have come to call the sinners to repentance. That's a very important phrase here today because by saying this phrase, Jesus is proving that he did not come to support the sinful lifestyles of people like Levi or to wink at sin. If Jesus was here today, he would not have been at a gay pride parade waving flags and hugging people. We know that, right? He came to cure sinners just like me and call them out of their sinful lifestyle because sin is eternally deadly. And Jesus came to call us back to God and back to righteousness so we could live forever because although sin kills, Jesus saves. And repentance, this word repentance means to turn away from sinful lifestyle and turn unto Jesus and begin following him with your life. It means to give up your sin and begin living for what is right and holy. Repentance means to turn around. I've shared this so many times. You guys are probably sick of hearing this, but I'm an awful, awful directional person on the road. I have no sense of directions at all. Anyone else? No sense of directions. You rely so heavily upon GPS that you don't know where anything is. Um, I often will just find the wrong road and drive on the road, having no idea that I'm on the wrong road, and sail on that wrong road for 20 to 30 minutes before I realize I'm going wrong. And then I'll encounter this kind of thing on my GPS, kind of yelling at me, going, turn around, you dummy. It doesn't always say that, but... It makes this, it says make a U-turn when possible, right? Make a U-turn. A what? A legal U-turn? That's what mine used to say. Make a legal U-turn. A legal U-turn. So it knew you. It knew what you were prone to, Joan. 
But mine would say make a U-turn when possible. Get off this road you're on because you're going the wrong way. Guys, in a nutshell, that's what repentance is. It's Jesus telling sinners, wrong way. That direction leads to hell. You've got to turn around and start following me. And the way we know this is because we know the rest of Levi's story. Levi repents. He becomes Matthew the Apostle. And many scholars believe he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Levi wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And just like at the end of A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, he ceases from being a miser and starts becoming a kind and charitable person, right? Only Levi did not reform himself like Scrooge did. Jesus healed Levi. Jesus gets all the credit for Levi's changed life today. Because of Christ's great mercy, Levi gives up his sin, gives up his crooked practices as a tax collector, and he starts doing, way, doing his life the way Jesus wanted him to. Levi becomes a success story of a broken, evil sinner turned righteous thanks to the mercy, forgiveness, and healing of our Lord Jesus. Anyone else? Definitely. Same here. This is an amazing truth, but what is the point of this story? I believe there's a twofold application depending on where you are spiritually. There's two groups of people in this room, Christians and not. And I don't know which you are. But depending on where you are spiritually, there are two sets of applications here that we're going to look at. First of all, for the religious and for the Christians among us, we live in an evil world, don't we? We live in an evil world. In fact, I just podcasted about this the other day. This world is getting more evil the longer we live upon it. And the more evil it becomes, the more people like Christians begin to hate this world because it's so contrary to God's way and Jesus' way. In fact, this, this, this ride that we're on called the earth is so evil, I want off this ride as soon as possible. And I believe that's an okay feeling to have because I believe God and Jesus had that feeling as well. But one day Jesus is going to rescue all his people from this evil world and take them to heaven. But where we often get derailed is when we begin feeling that evil people can't or don't deserve to be healed from their sin. When we believe that sinners deserve their condemnation. I want us to be very careful with that line of thinking because we were those evil people. We, myself included, were those evil people, just like Levi. And if it's true that all evil people deserve to be destroyed, I deserve to be destroyed and so do you. Is that really what you desire? For all evil people to be destroyed? I completely understand the complexity of the thoughts in our minds and our hearts. We want evil to stop. We are tired of seeing evil run rampant in our world, in our nation. We cannot stand God's name and God's will being stomped on every day, every week, every month, and every year. And I believe that's a right feeling to have. Keep that feeling. That's good and right. But the solution to the evil world is not condemnation, is it? It's the gospel. It's salvation. Because it was the gospel that changed my life. And if you're a Christian, it changed yours as well. Now, we deserve to be condemned just like Levi. But Levi received mercy, cleansing, and restoration from Jesus Christ. Have you? Have you? 
Are you saved? Are you cleansed? Are you healed today because of Christ's mercy in your life? If you're not, today is the day of your salvation. Turn around. Turn around. You're going the wrong way and start following Jesus with your life. Those of us who are Christians and following Jesus are mercy recipients. I have received mercy. You have received mercy. And therefore, we should want mercy to be given to other sinners as well so they can stop doing bad and start doing good upon the earth. That is the heart and the power of the gospel. Bad becoming good. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. Simon became Peter. Levi became Matthew. Todd became Pastor Todd. And you get the point. Also, the thought that there might be people too evil to be healed is destroyed by the testimony of Levi because Levi is a notorious, sinful crook who made a living off stealing other people's money. He's about as wicked a sinner as you could find in the day. He most definitely would have been the sort of person that people would write off as too far gone. Nobody like Levi can follow Jesus. Nobody like Levi could be saved. Nobody like Levi could find himself in heaven one day. That is destroyed in one testimony. In a moment, Jesus heals Levi, and he turns Levi around. Levi repents. He gives up his crooked practice. He becomes the Apostle Matthew. He gets a new name, and he begins loving and serving the, the Lord and the kingdom of God for the rest of his life. Christians, even Levi can be saved. To the unreligious, people who might not be saved today amongst us, Levi represents you. He represents you. Levi, honestly, is quite frankly all of us. To be honest, I had many people in my, in my life who wrote me off in my mid-20s. Did you have anybody who wrote you off? Todd will never amount to anything. He's a classic five-time loser with no future. Now I'm a pastor because something amazing happened to me. Jesus came into my life and he turned me around. I met Jesus Christ and he changed my life. He changed my heart. He healed my mind. He changed my desires to be a lover of good instead of a lover of evil. And I'm here today because Jesus healed me. And that's the only reason. How about you? Now, two groups of people here today need a potential change of heart. Long-term Christians like myself need to have our hearts once again softened and broken for the lost. We have become, sadly, too callous towards the lost. The lost, to many of us, have become a nuisance that need to be tossed aside instead of a people to be loved and healed by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, we need to take a long look at Levi today and remember who we were and where we were before Jesus cleansed us. Where would you be today without the cleansing blood of Jesus in your life? You would have been cast off. And so would have I. But instead of being cast off, we have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. And to those who have yet to give their lives to Jesus, we need to come to one conclusion today. Sin is deadly and sin will destroy. But Jesus heals. Jesus heals even the worst of sinners. Even the really far gone. Now, sin is an eternally deadly disease, and all sinners will be destroyed if they don't turn to Jesus. 
If you do not find the cleansing and healing power of Jesus, you have no hope. Jesus is your only hope. He's my only hope. But I want the story of Levi today to impact both groups of people here today. Christians, be reminded today that even Levi can be saved. Sinners, be reminded today that even Levi can be saved. Are you grateful for what Jesus is still able to do with the gospel? Will you buy into his plan and help the world see Jesus' cure for sin before it's too late? It says in Jesus, excuse me, it says in the scripture that Jesus is the great physician. Whatever you're suffering with, whatever it is, Jesus has the cure. And especially sin. If you are a sinner, find Jesus today and find that cure today. And perhaps like Levi, our legacy will change from this moment on. And we will become one of the most glorified stories of all time of mercy, forgiveness, and healing from our Lord Jesus. Can you say that today? Jesus healed me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group of people who are here today. I don't know their hearts. I don't know where they are in terms of their relationship with the Lord Jesus. But I know Jesus has the cure for all of us. For long-term Christians, Father, who have become callous to the lost and callous to the evil in our world, help us to see that Jesus can still do amazing, cleansing acts of healing. He could turn anybody around. Father, for those of us who are here who don't have Jesus Christ in their life, who don't know him, who haven't experienced his healing firsthand, I pray for that soul right now that you would say calmly in their heart, but firmly, turn around and start following me. And maybe today, Father's Day, June 20th, 2021, would be the day that someone begins their new path of following Jesus unto the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. And they would later share that great testimony of the day that Jesus healed even them. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what it's meant in my life and thank you for what it means for the countless lives in this room. And we give you all glory for Jesus' blood. It's in his name we pray. Amen.